Stephanie Meyer either thinks that girls only think this way. This is all teen girls think about is how hot guys are. She doesn't think that her readers have the capacity or the ability to think deeper. And so it's very shallow or she's a bad writer. I don't know which one it is. Welcome to the Novel Universe with Dawn and Ashley, book club buddies who love to read YA fiction. We'll discuss the good, the bad, the ugly, and oh my gosh, we need to talk about this right now. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Ashley, the fantasy architect. So grab something sweet or salty and join our universe. Hello and welcome back to the Novel Universe with your hosts Ashley and Dawn and we are continuing our read along with the universe of Midnight Sun by Stephanie Meyer. I don't know why I keep calling this woman Marissa Meyer. Oh my god. Stephanie Meyer and we will be talking about chapters 7 through 16. Yes. Yes. All right so let's just jump right in. All right. So uh, let's see. My first notes for chapter seven is uh, Edward stopped composing music, question mark, when he immersed with Bella. So they all made a comment about the fact that he was composing music again. And I was like, when did he ever stop composing music? That's a good question. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So apparently up until this point, we don't get an answer to that. Mm hmm. Um, my comment on chapter seven, which is probably the only thing I like about this book, hint, hint, where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, at the very beginning, he talks about how he's not human. And so as he was growing, he his life was cut really short at 17. And at that age, all he was thinking about was the war and he wanted to join the war. And so the only love he's ever experienced is his mother's love. He's never been in love before. So he doesn't know how it feels. He doesn't know how to behave. He doesn't know how to court. Like he doesn't know how to do anything. And I thought that was good. However, he doesn't ask anybody how, how it's, how he's supposed to behave. He does not ask Carlisle or Esme or even Alice. I'm assuming Alice and Jasper have the capacity to love because before they died, they experienced it as humans. And so now they know how to be in love. He doesn't ask anybody. So now he's dating a girl who's also never been in love before. And neither one of them know how to behave properly. And it is unhealthy. And it's insta-love. And I thought that was a missed opportunity on, on almost called him Marissa again, <laughs> on Meyer's part to not have a discussion about what a healthy relationship looks like as opposed to what they're doing. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's like she did something good there with him not being human, but she doesn't do anything with it. And I feel like that's kind of an ongoing theme in this book. She has something kind of interesting to say, but she doesn't do anything with it. It just kind of stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my one main thing with the 10 chapters that, that we read. I just, I was missing Edward... Uh, I guess, asking for help from other people. There's a lot of us inside of his brain and we don't exit out of his brain. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, um, that's not good. <laughs> she sets yeah. it up well, but the, how she carries it out, I'm not, 
I'm not pleased with that at all. So that's all I had for chapter seven. Me too. Okay, so chapter eight. Um, I my my big note is, wow, Edward really watches Bella do everything and anything since day one. He basically has been behind the scenes, keeping an eye on her. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm getting a lot of these stalkery vibes that don't feel good. Like, I don't like the fact that he is constantly there, even though she doesn't know it. And he's constantly keeping an eye on her. He's constantly watching her every move. Is she safe? Is she going to fall into this trap? Oh my goodness, this is changing. So what am I going to do to make sure that she stays safe? And it's like, bro, you can't, you can't live in fear. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. literally the deadliest thing out there besides another vampire. And all he is thinking about is the fear of anything happening to Bella. Like, in everything that could possibly happen. Um, so, yeah, that just, I don't, I, it doesn't give me good feelings. Um, one thing that I got of this, it's, I don't know if this is a nitpick or not, but he criticizes Mike for liking Jessica when he was like, hey, psst, 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 by the way, Jessica likes you. And then Mike is like, oh, OK, let me go ask her to the prom or the dance or whatever. And then he criticizes him for switching his attraction to girls found that it interesting that he criticizes Mike for basically being a 17 year old boy. Cause that's what they do. Teens are fickle. Somebody likes you one day and then, or you like somebody one day and you don't like them because somebody else hollered at you and you're like, well, I like this person now. Like that's how teens behave. And I don't feel like that's fair to, to Mike And I feel like the only reason why she put that in there is to basically character assassinate Mike. That's the only reason is to make him look so bad. It justifies Edward's behavior. But she did that before though, too, because we're seeing Mike is being this gross, disgusting 17 year old boy that is only thinking about, you know, sex and hanging out with friends and sex, you know, like, and, and back and forth here. So I think it's just, She's trying to main character, maintain character face, but I don't appreciate it because the way that we're, you know, drawn into Edward and Bella, it is like this weird, like switch all of a sudden. It's like, oh, I'm going to kill her. Oh, I'm going to love her. Oh, I'm going to kill her. Oh, I'm going to love her. Like back and forth. Um, and so there's not, there's not ample amount of time to, uh, gradually make this switch. It's more of a like instant, all of a sudden, this is how it is. And I don't, yeah. I don't like that. I yeah. Don't. And one, <laughs> once again, Meyer doesn't really do anything with it. Like, this could have been an opportunity to make, to compare and contrast Edward and Mike and their feelings for, and how they feel about, you know, the girls or women in their life. And instead of making that a conversation starter, it's more of a, justification for Edward's behavior. Mm-hmm. But see, and we also learned that like Edward is like super well read, you know, he's going through like the parts and sense and sensibility when Ella, when Ella, Oh my gosh, when Bella is reading the book and he's like 
pulling out like quotes from the book and then he's you know talking about Austin he's like hmm you know Emma probably wasn't my favorite book either and then Bella's like that's that was my not favorite book you know and it's like he's so well read in such a more grown-up man because he's over a hundred years old but yet he acts like a freaking 17 year old in the majority of the book when we're learning about uh, what he's actually thinking when it comes towards Bella. Yeah, and I know this is not in this chapter. I don't think it is. But I found it interesting that Bella says that, well, she says Jane Eyre is her is her favorite heroine or is her heroine or something. And I'm like, I feel like Jane Eyre would be appalled at your behavior mm-hmm. and how you lose yourself in some guy. I mean, it's not in this book, but in subsequent books, she ditches her friends. She is like, not trying to kill herself, but mm-hmm. it's obsession. It's unhealthy. And I'm like, I don't think Jane Eyre would approve of that. No. Yet you look up to her. Yeah, no. She compares herself to Jane Eyre. And I'm like, you are not Jane Eyre. I know Jane oh. Eyre, but you are not her. <laughs> I'm like, oh, honey, no, no. <laughs> oh, man. She's too gullible to be Jane Eyre for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that chapter nine is the poor Angela's uh, chapter. I did not realize the extent of Edward's want for vengeance on Bella. So when he rescues Bella from a bunch of those like drunk guys in the alleyway and like, just how this need to uh, protect her and to make sure that she's never threatened again and to make sure that this monster is no longer out on the streets. I mean, Edward used to kill guys like this when he was going through his bloodlust to just take over, you know, that frenzy thing. And he still has that need to like be the hero to, uh, to, to protect her so much so that he then uh, brings Carlisle into the situation and Carlisle goes and deals with it. And I was like, what? What is happening? What? And then come to find out that Carlisle basically <laughs> brings this guy to uh, the authorities for him to get charged with all the other things that he's pulled. And it's like, mm. okay, okay. Like, I didn't know that. And so that was a little bit uh, like, oh, I think I like that. Because it, to me, shows that Carlisle and Edward had this bond that goes way back, okay? And so the fact that, you know, Carlisle is always wanting him to do the, the right thing, but yet Carlisle understands that people make mistakes. And how do you right those wrongs appropriately? Um. Yeah, I don't know. How did you feel about that? Okay, so my overall feelings about all of this is, and once again, I don't know if I should say this now. What chapter are we on? Nine? Nine. Nine. I'll circle back to the end. Um, (laughs) I just, I, I understand that people were like, they're excited to see something that wasn't in the previous series. So that's cool. Is that necessarily nuanced? No, because that is the plot to Dexter. I 
it's so for me, like I look for new voices or new characters or something I've never read before, but everything in this book I've read before and I don't read vampire books. So this should all be fabulously new for me and none of it is. It's all it's all regurgitated plots and dialogue and story just worded differently in a very long. And so, although I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's great that she add a little bit more insight into that evening. Was it necessarily interesting or different? No. Say no. I feel like what's becoming a pattern is uh, Meyer is feeling like she needs to gift all of her readers all this information so that there's no room for imagination anymore as to what was actually happening in that story. And I don't like it. Like as a reader, I want to be able to experience things on my own. Give me little like tidbits that I should pick up on, but don't tell me verbatim that this is what is happening in this moment because now I've lost the, uh, this, of the authenticity of the story because now I am getting the same exact Twilight story that I keep getting in every single vampire book that I'm reading again. Like you had the opportunity to make this book into something great and it's just, it's still the same plot line. We're still brought into the same scenarios. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Or maybe write the book with Edward and Bella's POV, like intermix with each other, not just do the same exact story, not just told through Edward's eyes, and the story has not changed. It's the same. It's the same story. Um, well, <laughs> chapter nine. Um, I didn't, I believe what happens in chapter nine is he says that I found interesting again of her Meyer justification of everything is that danger is drawn to Bella. And that's why he feels like he has to protect her because danger is drawn to her. That's an interesting concept. However, it wasn't drawn to her when she was in Phoenix. So why all of a sudden are rapists and vampires and werewolves finding her here? I, it, that doesn't it doesn't wash mm-hmm. also um was this the was this whole chapter were they in the restaurant in this chapter or yeah. was it the next chapter no, okay it's this chapter, it's this chapter. Mm-hmm. um okay so <laughs> up until this point every woman in this book is hot pants for edward so we have Bella, Jessica, the freaking secretary, every waitress in this restaurant. And I and I don't understand what that is. It's like, does Meyer think that readers do not have the capacity to read about women and girls who have other thoughts? And that all or all girls and women think about is how hot men are. And we don't have other thoughts. Point is, is that Marissa, oh God, Stephanie Meyer either thinks that girls only think this way. This is all teen girls think about is how hot guys are. She doesn't think that her readers have the capacity or the ability to think deeper. And so it's very shallow. 
or she's a bad writer. I don't know which one it is. And it's it's really starting to bum me out that every woman so far, with the exception of Alice, is either shallow, vapid, or jealous. Mm-hmm. That's it. No, I, I I totally agree with you. I just the the only one that we seem to be getting a different point of view from is Angelica, who is the more genuinely just nice person, you know. And so it's like she is the only one that has other thoughts besides, oh, he's so hot, ooh, swoon, um, and maybe he'll think that my tits look good in this dress, or oh, um. Do you think he's going to ask me, like, just, is that, but all but girls? she is thinking about that. She's kind of, because she's sitting at the cafeteria table with Ben, and all she is, like, hung up on, does he like me? Is he going to ask me out? Am I going to, I mean, she does have other things she thinks about, but that is one of them. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't describe her wholly, though, as that yeah. first outline. You know what I mean? But I agree. I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's because we are back into the same exact story that that's why. But I just, I don't know. I'll say that till the end. I have a, I have a tiny big nitpick. <laughs> All right. For the well, end. We've only gotten two chapters in. Let's go. Yeah. Right. Move the fastness. Um, so I think we also went into chapter 10 because I mean, they're leaving Port Angeles, but they are now having the the vampire talk in the car, which I thought was so interesting because my brain keeps remembering the vampire talk happening, um, you know, after school one day where they just like walk into the forest type of a thing. And I don't know if that like chronologically was how it happened the first time. So the whole entire time it's like playing through my brain. So I'm like, we're now having the vampire talk as you're in the car with a guy who you've only met a handful of times, had a handful of conversations with, and now he's spilling his, it's because he's a vampire and you're, you, you know, we're now learning about the Quillette family and Jacob and everything like that. And it was just like, what? Yeah, I was confused, too. And I'm not sure if they changed it, because like I said, I've only read the books once, but I've seen the movies a couple times. So I don't know if they changed it for the movie. And that's what I'm remembering. Or and it did actually happen this way in the book. I don't know. I don't know. I think they might have changed it for the movie because I was like really second guessing myself. Like, did that actually happen? You know, (laughs) but I don't know. I don't know. I just did. my, My other note was that like. You know, Bella is so well-read, okay? She's not dumb, meaning academically, she's not dumb. She's a very smart girl. Um, But it's like, if someone is telling you that they are dangerous, that they're a monster, um, and that you should stay away, and she's saying, I just can't stay away. I want to be like, are you stupid? Like... Apparently, you know, academic knowledge and like actual common sense knowledge are just not lining up here <laughs> with her. I don't know. I think so. My rationale with that is in in Twilight, we kept 
getting the perspective of Bella, obviously. And she kept saying that she didn't want to grow old. She was she she didn't want to grow old. She didn't want to grow old. And she has moved to this town. She doesn't know anybody. She doesn't have a relationship with her father. And now she meets this guy who's hot. He's mysterious. And so maybe she's attracted to that. And then when she finds out he's a vampire, she's like, hmm, now I don't have to grow old. So that's my only rationale with why she's like inviting danger into her life because she's bored and he's interesting and she ain't got nothing better to do than read. And which is not a bad thing, by the way. Read, guys, it's great. But <laughs> and she just found something interesting to occupy her time. And then he like basically obsesses over her and tells her he loves her. And now she loves him back. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know. I just am like. OK, like, I don't know what my brain envisioned Edward is looking like when I was first reading this. But I'm like, the because then all I'm seeing is a Robert Pattinson version. And I'm like, he is not hot. Like, I remember him walking out on the screen and be like, ew, like, that is not Edward. <laughs> oh, my God, I was just like. Yeah. This I is, agree. I had the same thought. You know, I was like, why? why? <laughs> is it because he's English? <laughs> is that why? <laughs> well, he doesn't have the accent in the book. I personally think that Jasper, movie Jasper, is way hotter than Robert Pattinson. Oh, uh-huh. so I, I think, yeah, I and and like you said, all I was because they were describing how each other looks, and even Bella with her big ass eyes and her whatever, and. But all I can picture is Robert Pattinson and Kristen uh, Stewart. I can't, and I can't for the life of me try and picture him looking like something else. And I don't necessarily think Robert Pattinson is unattractive. I think he has his moments. I think there are moments where he's really attractive and there's moments where he's not. But in this movie, he wasn't. Mm-hmm. So for him to be just like so in, 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 um, insanely hot that all these women are just dropping panties, I'm like, all I can see is Robert Pattinson and I don't think so. My and I can't believe I said the P word. I hate that word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that word. I'm not looking to drop anything around him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Did you have anything else on Chapter 10? So, Chapter 11, uh, I literally just <laughs> wrote. Okay, seriously, Edward does so much eavesdropping on Bella. Seriously, why do we have to have so much step-by-step details? Too much. Just too much information. I don't need to hear Charlie brushing his teeth in the bathroom. I don't need to hear about the fact that uh, Bella now is not going to bed with wet hair. She's going to bed with dry hair. Like, I don't need all this information. Like, it's not doing anything except muddling the story. And whatever point she's trying to get across, is it, it is so far gone that I can't see it. That is what I wrote down. I don't know. I don't know what chapter the, the spider is in. It may, may be in the, in the earlier chapter, but there's a chapter where there's like a poisonous spider and he kills it. And he kind of makes some comparisons to the spider and it could be a metaphor for just like him or boys or whatever. But like you said, all of that goodness gets, gets overshadowed by her wet hair and Charlie's teeth brushing. Mm-hmm. Every time, every time there will be like a little nugget of information that we get. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. That's exciting. Let's expound on that. 
And now you're expounding on the fact that the wind is blowing in the west direction today, along with the bugs moving and settling down in a petal. Like, it's not adding anything to the story. It's making me just want to shut the book and not read it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for chapter 12, um, I thought that it was interesting that Edward is definitely, his love language is gifts, giving people things, I've noticed, because because he's been eavesdropping on, you know, Angela's mind all the time because that's the only way he's being able to see through her eyes into Bella's thinking in school. And so he's like, hmm, I should do something nice for her because I've basically been using her mind against her will. Like, what can I do for her? Oh, she likes Ben. Hmm, Emmett, let's try and, you know, get this this girl a date to the dance. So you're going to act like you want to ask her out and I'm going to tell you that, Oh no, I, uh, I'm going to ask her out, but you know, I think Ben really, she, she really likes Ben or maybe she doesn't. And like, they went on this whole entire rampage of how they were trying to get Ben to ask Angela to the dance. I'm sorry. Ben is such a tiny, minute character in the first (laughs) installment of this book that it's like, what is happening? Why? Like, I thought it was cute that, like, Emmett was like, yeah, bro, but let's work this out and we'll just use our little vampire mind tricks over here to, like, persuade people to give others what they need or whatever. But then it just gets, it's just, it's just too much. It is too much information. Yeah, so I had thoughts about that, too. First of all, I call this high school hijinks. There's no reason for it other than to make Edward look good. She has to find ways to make Edward likable because people hate him because he's a fucking stalker. So she has to make him likable. And this is how she does it. And she needs to take 10 to 15 pages to do that. And it's not even important information really to the plot. And it's it once again, it's just dumbing down her book. It's like, oh, high schoolers are reading this book or my readers are dummies. And so therefore I need to put, put some weak high school bullshit in the middle of my book for 20 pages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's stupid. It's so stupid. Um, and then my next comment was that, um, you know, basically every single one of the colons would trade anything to become human again. Except for maybe Emmett, because Emmett was more of a, like, you know, he's just rolling with the punches. Ha, ha, ha. You know, (laughs) just living life, just taking whatever's thrown at him. But every single one of them has said, and will say again, you know, becoming a vampire is not the greatest thing. They would give anything to be human again, because humanity is such a gift, a gift of time that they're given you know, and how they choose to spend it and be able to have children, being able to grow old together, like all of these things, never having to move around all over the place. They're just stuck, you know, they're, they're, they're stuck in their vampire bodies and it's the same thing over and over and over again. Um, so I found that that was interesting because all we see with Bella from her POV is, I don't want to die. I don't want to be old. Oh, can't you just make me a vampire? Like, you know, 
I don't want to have another birthday. Then I'm going to be technically be a year older than you. And it's like, are you dumb? Like, no, <laughs> you're still going to be younger than him regardless. But yeah, it's just chapter 13. I wrote, finally, Jacob has entered the scene. <laughs> I've only been waiting to hear about Jacob Black. And all we get was, hey, Bella, what's up? (laughs) And then I wrote, there's just so much more unnecessary information. One thing I noticed in this chapter is that Meyer is trying really hard to convey that Bella's decisions were her own. I don't know how many times Edward was like, oh, 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 but only if it's her choice. Oh, oh, it's going to be her choice. I'm like... I see what you're doing, Meyer. We all see what you're doing. You're, she's trying to fix how she messed up in book one and the misogyny and the control that people were complaining about that Edward has too much control over her. So she's trying to fix it by making him say umpteen times, but oh, 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 it's her choice. It, it's her choice. She chooses to behave this way. It's her choice, not me. Just <laughs> like, mm-hmm. girlfriend, stop. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's like you could literally have a drinking game by how many times he says, like, oh, but only if she wants to. Only if that makes mm-hmm. her happy. Something that I found that was really cute was that, um, and this is just going back into uh, the time before everyone else became a part of the Collins, meaning Rosalie, Emma, Alice, and Jasper. Um, you know, Edward has this deeper connection with Carlisle, and he has a decent, a deep connection with Esme um, and their little like mother and son connection is really sweet to me because even though she did not actually birth Edward or um, you know, Edward's not biologically hers, Esme has such motherly qualities that are just continuing to bubble over that you're seeing. And um, when she sits next to him to like, you know, just go, how, how are you doing? Are you sure that you're happy? Are you making a good choice for yourself? Because all I want is for you to be happy, but I don't want you to be stupid about it because I don't want to lose you again. You know? And like that whole interaction to me was really sweet because we don't see a lot of Esme at all in any of the books. Mm -hmm. So to see her really taking that motherly role and checking in on all of her adoptive children, if you will, is, that was kind of a breath of fresh air. I was like, oh, now see, I want to read about this because we didn't get this. Don't give me the same exact scene that I've seen numerous times. Like, give me something else <laughs> that yeah, I haven't yeah. seen before. And that, I was like, that would, that was good. That was good. Yeah, I thought it was sweet. I thought it was good. Is it enough to make this book critical or exceptional? No. And that's and that's my criticism. That's probably my one of my biggest criticisms of this book is she tried to do some things at some points, but it was not enough to make me like this book. It just wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, going into chapters 14, it's just literally my whole all of my comments are, you know, Edward is a freaking nervous wreck every single time he has to leave her. Like, what is going on here? Like, they're this whole like insta love thing, and she can't, he can't be without her. He wants to spend all of his time with her. It's just, it's just too much. 
Like I would have mid- omitted all of chapter 14 if I could. I would. I really would have. <laughs> I feel, I don't think Meyer knows how to write a romance. And these are romance books. I don't think she knows how to write love. She knows how to write obsession and insta-love. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't know how to write love. And I, I think that is the problem. I think that is the, I think we, we kind of all was like, oh my God, she's a great writer. But she's not really. She's really not. No. It was a unique story that has that had yet to be told. And now she's still retelling the same story. Yeah. Which isn't showing growth at all as an author, in my opinion. Like, I feel like I'm still, you know, 17-year-old, 18-year-old Ashley reading this book. And as, you know, a 30-year-old, this is not meeting anything that it, it, it should. It makes me question the fact of, like, what was I thinking when I was reading this book? Exactly. And I was 18 when I read the first time. I was in my 30s and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking when I read this book the first time? What the hell? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got nothing. Okay. I have nothing until chapter 17. (laughs) Wait, yeah. What chapter are we ending on? 16? 16. Well, we can do 17. Yeah, then I got nothing. No, no, we'll do 16. Okay. I read ahead. Sorry. (laughs) My library book is going to expire, so I had to hurry up and read it. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hence by her saying, my critique with this book. (laughs) My critique with this book. Um, Okay. And then chapter 15, you know, is where we see, you know, that Edward really wanting to impress Carlisle, you know, and their whole... Uh, backstory and how Edward just uh, was a raging lunatic, basically, you know, couldn't control his blood less. So Carlisle was there the whole entire time helping him. Like, you're going to, we're not going to go around any life humans. We're going to make sure we feed away from everyone else, you know, and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden we're meeting a different coven. Um, but I don't remember the lady's name, but it's some other, what was her names? Do you remember the other coven ladies' names or whatever? Nope. Yeah. Anyway, so they're with their, uh, these other, it's like a mom and a daughter, basically. And how, and she commented on the fact that um, Edward was missing out on the finer things in life because he wasn't consuming human blood. Um, and the fact that he's this, uh, gifted, uh, vampire and how Carla knows how to pick them, you know, to make sure that they're gifted and they have something. And then it makes me want to wonder, does Carlisle have a specific gift other than not succumbing to bloodlust? Does he have any other gift? Maybe because Carlisle was also a part of the Volturi for a time being, you know, he Mm -hmm. was in that realm. So it makes me wonder what, what does he actually have? Because the fact that another coven is now speaking about the fact that he chose someone who was gifted. Is that in relation to the fact that the Volturi only choose people who are gifted to be in their circle? Um, or does that mean that, you know, Carlisle also has something that we don't know about? That whole thing was really, really interesting to me. So I was like, okay, 
some new information. I like this. I like the fact that Carlisle uh, had a Christmas tree set up for him. I thought that, that was really cute because Edward does similar things for Bella. So she doesn't feel like she's missing out on the experiences that of, of humanity, you know, being a human, having Christmas time, going to Thanksgiving dinner, like all of these things that we, we, we celebrate as humans just to celebrate. Um, yeah, that's all I had on that part. Because, oh, and then, you know, it goes into the fact that Edward now leaves Carlisle and Esme to figure out what this life is really about type of a thing. And then he comes to the realization that there's more to life than just the frenzy of, of, of blood. And so he ends up going back to them. And so to me, I was like, Oh, it's like the prodigal son returning. You went to live a little. And then you're like, why is it so hard to come back now? Oh, because you gave in to your temptation. Okay. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then what chapter 16 so this is our last chapter that we're discussing today right yep um i th- my only critique was that because i've seen the movie so many more times than i've read the book as well the whole idea that they made the taking the shirt off spectacle into a day like they took the day off to go travel into the woods so he could show her what he looks like <laughs> in the sun. And she freaks out because her words <laughs> were, you're on fire. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? Not, oh, you're so beautiful. Or, oh, doesn't, is, isn't it painful? Hi, sparkling. What do you mean he's painful? What, what? What? <laughs> I think that whole section was for him to learn how to be close to her without killing her. But I don't think we need, cause I listened to this on audiobook and it was like 90 minutes long for, for that chapter. Yep. Uh, all for that. All for that. Yep. I just, I personally think that it takes, a good writer knows how to convey their message succinctly. And I don't think she knows how to do that. I have read books by like YA authors, not just adult where they can like put an emotion out there and you are in tears of something that major has happened or like a, a, a loss of love or disappointment. And I have been moved to tears and it was told in less than 10 pages or she needs 60 pages to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, as of right now, that is my hugest nitpick with that book because I haven't uh, finished it all the way yet. Um, And I mean, there's, there's so many chapters that I, I have literally been saying over and over again, like there's way too much information. Why are you giving us all of this? Like the first six chapters, or sorry, even the first four chapters, I was like, okay, I am all in. Like, I was so excited to keep reading. And I feel like the last 10 chapters I just read, I was like, why are we still trudging along? Oh my goodness. I was like, I can't do this. 
And so right now my reaction is this is not something that has met any expectations right now. I'm a little disappointed. I will say that for right now. I'm a little disappointed. I don't feel like there has been any growth. I feel like it's someone trying to give me all of the blueprints to how the story was created. And I don't want that. I want the story. I don't want to know everything else, like how she wove everything together. I don't need to know all that. I want to figure that out for myself. And I should be able to have that choice as a reader to be able to put it together. I mean, when you think about all the other books that we've read this year, um, the different types of authors that we've had, like there are those that are able to weave those messages in and you're like, did you catch that? Oh no, I didn't catch it. Really? That's what she or he meant by that. Oh my goodness. How did I not see that this whole entire book? And that's the thrill of reading. That's what a story is. Like I should be able to get sucked into a world and uh, map out all of these characters with, with hints that have been given to me from the author, not verbatim that she was wearing a size seven and a half shoe with leather pumps all the way up to her ankles that are about four inches in diameter, blah, blah, blah. Like just weird information. Like I don't need all of that. (laughs) And I'm sorry, but I, I'm not seeing much of a growth in this author. I'm seeing exactly what I saw 12 years ago. And that's a shame. Yeah. I agree. So I don't know if she realizes that the days of the 700 page novel are over. We don't do that anymore. We've moved on to even 500 pages is a lot. A, a epic fantasy is not even like I, I recall my um, I recall looking at my Sarah J. Mass Throne of Glass books and them getting smaller and smaller and now her trick was to make her pages thinner, but the girth of the book is is shorter. And you know, whereas Air of Fire was huge and it started it started to get smaller. So those days are gone and she she missed that email. Yeah. It's like she's trying to give the reader an experience and something to just fall in love with all over again. But readers have evolved now. Harry Potter was huge books. Aragon and, you know, those are huge books. We don't read like that anymore. We we have shorter books now. So I agree with everything you said. It's just. Well, and it's just, it's just, un- I feel like people's imaginations are, um, are shifting and growing. And the way that a story is being told now is done in a more, you know, intricate way versus like just info dumping. Anyone can just info dump. It takes a skilled writer, though, to take those thoughts and to weave them in to where people have to dissect the whole entire puzzle to then understand the whole content of, of the book. And that's how it should be. Neither if you want to compare like, uh, what's his name? George Martin's books. And for crying out loud, it's like, those things are huge because the world contains hundreds of people in different houses, yeah. everything else. There's a reason why it has to be like that. If you want to talk about how Moss's book was almost a thousand pages the last one, well, guess what? She had 
eight different POVs to tie all back in together and make sure everyone's story was done. There's a reason for that. I don't need 600 pages of Edward. I'm going to shoot myself. I don't, I don't need that. And it's not even new information. It's like the amount of new information that we have probably gotten is probably 50 pages worth, maybe in total, the whole entire book. Yeah, I agree. So guys, I'm really so. What page? What page are you on? Technically, what page are you on? I do you know? I have the audio book, so I oh. thank God because I just be like flipping and flipping and flipping. Um, mm-hmm. I'm more than halfway done. Okay, okay. Well, they you got that yeah. going for you. <laughs> I've got that going for me. Thanks. Thanks. So, you guys, the next time you meet with us, we are basically just going to do 17 all the way through the epilogue. (laughs) Oh, so we're just going to, we're just going to plow. I'm cool with that. I think we should just plow at this point in time. Sorry, guys. (laughs) If you really enjoy Stephanie Meyer, I apologize that this has now turned into a poo-pooing segment of her writing. Because it is just, it is a, it's a disappointment. I, yeah. As of right now, for me, I'm yep. disappointed. Me I too. has gone from like a 3.5 to like a 1. Oh, no. I was already at a 1, so. <laughs> <laughs> we knew that, Don. <laughs> we knew. We knew that. We knew that. Um, very last thing, if you want to donate to the, was it Kulut? I can't, I can never say it right. The tribe that she uses and abuses in this book. Um, they are needing help to get to higher ground because of the flooding. I have already donated $15. It's about all, no 20 is about all I can afford. So we're everyone, everybody in booktube, everybody's doing reviews are just, you know, if you're going to buy the book, then tr- if you can, I know it's difficult at this time try to support the tribe that she has taken advantage of. Seriously. Other than that, we will catch you in the next podcast. Bye-bye.